Those covering natural disasters or war are not the only ones who suffer. It turns out that almost all journalists are exposed to traumatic stress experiences. That includes reporters who show up along with the first responders when a car crashes, a train derails, or someone is shot. The photo and video editors who must sift through footage from terrorist attacks, experiencing trauma secondhand. And freelancers who weather the hazards of the profession without traditional organizational support systems. Specific data about journalists and mental health is hard to come by. Research only began to pick up steam in the mid-1990s, and journalists are notoriously reluctant to divulge information about themselves. A 2001 study by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration found that upwards of 85% of journalists experience work-related trauma. The study also claimed that 4 to 28% suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder over the course of their careers, and up to 20% experience depression. Even when psychological symptoms like nightmares, flashbacks, insomnia, and anxiety don't rise to the level of a disorder, they still take a toll. Welcome back to Newsroom Mayhem. I'm Alexa Morrissey, your host for this series, and this is episode four of five, Too Close to Home. We'll explore how researching and reporting on atrocities impacts one's life beyond the office and into one's day-to-day -day routine. Also, we'll examine if journalists are able to leave what they reported on at work and not have it impede their home life. Journalists are soldiers. They're not getting shot at most of the time, but they are witnessing events with their notepads that normal, rational human beings are running from. And they're saying and recording and telling the truth. When reporting on atrocious and senseless incidents, it is mentally and emotionally impossible for one to separate one's work life from home life. Therefore, exposure to trauma can leave permanent damages to news journalists' overall quality of life. There is something noble and exciting about venturing out every day to seek the truth. However, most news reporters are often not welcomed by society. Take Edna Buchanan, for example. Buchanan commanded Miami's police beat for 18 years. She reported more than 5,000 violent deaths, 3,000 of them murders. She also covered kidnappings, riots, fatal fires, major plane crashes, and other disasters. Buchanan's philosophy is influenced by her career as a journalist and author who has written about crime and criminals for half of her life. Here, she recounts her experiences in a chapter of her memoir entitled, Nobody Loves a Police Reporter. To be a police reporter is to be an unwelcome intruder. It can be lonesome and arduous. People blame you for the bad news. It's human nature. Somebody gets in trouble, you report it, and he turns on you like it's your fault, not his, that he is in this mess. The truth can get you in a lot of trouble. Buchanan portrays the notion that news reporters and journalists are perceived as being unwelcome intruders. Unintentional guilt that is placed on the news realm can result in unforeseen consequences in the majority of news reporting employees. Examples of these consequences include depression, isolation, loneliness, and feelings of invalid attribution. These impacts on journalists' mental health reveal the need for professional assistance 
and aid. It is impossible for a journalist to separate work life and home life as their mentalities overpower them to the point where getting out of bed in the morning is a struggle beyond belief. Journalists are exposed to the most unflattering and uncensored circumstances, and yet they still receive insufficient training to prepare them for life on the job. From day one, journalists are encouraged to tell the truth, the raw and earth-shattering truth. Why is it that journalists are being targeted because of the role they play in ensuring a free and informed society? To stop journalists from exposing uncomfortable truths and holding power to account, a growing number of governments have engaged in overt, sometimes violent efforts to discredit their work and intimidate them into silence. This is a worldwide assault on journalists and journalism as a whole. But even more important, it's an assault on the public's right to know, on core democratic values, on the concept of truth itself. And perhaps most troubling, the seeds of this campaign were planted here, in a country that has long prided itself on being the fiercest defender of free expression and a free press. When Bean Shanann mentions the fact that the truth can get you into a lot of trouble, she is referring to this worldwide assault on journalism as her moral beliefs regarding honesty are compromised to better fit societal standards. The question of whether journalists are vultures or they're simply just doing their job plays a prominent role in evaluating journalists' mental health. Ted Scowden has been covering Broward County for over 20 years as a news reporter with CBS4. In an interview with Scouten, he provided narratives of pivotal moments and events in his career path, which included the coverage of the Boston Marathon bombing and the Pulse and Parkland massacres. Scouten emphasized that each individual reacts in different manners in various situations, and further detailed how he reacted to each traumatic incident he witnessed, both short-term and long-term. Sometimes people will say, you know, oh, you're vultures, you're just you know, looking to exploit people. And, you know, when someone says that, I, it, I'll stop. I'll, I'll think about what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You know, am I, am I exploiting someone? Am I, you know, am I being, um, am I being thoughtful? Am I being kind? And, you know, like I was saying before, when I deal with victims and their families, I mm-hmm. always go up without a camera. Mm-hmm. I, I go to the door, you know, if, if someone mm-hmm. is killed in a, uh, a car accident or something like that, I'll go to the door. The first thing that comes out of my mouth is that I'm from Channel 4. I want them to know who I am. So I, mm-hmm. there's no, no misleading. But I tell them, you know, my thoughts are with you. I can't imagine what you're going through, and I don't want to make anything worse. And, you know, if someone's called a robot when they're a journalist, that's because they're putting the story before the human being. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and yeah, I mean, the, the, my number one priority always, always, always is the victim, the victim mm-hmm. and their family. Unfortunately, Scouten suffered from major mental and emotional damage and deficiencies and was additionally blamed by the public for producing and broadcasting so-called fake news. Similar to how Buchanan mentioned how telling the truth can spiral consequences, The internet itself has enabled the sharing of knowledge in ways that previous generations could only have dreamed of. Fake news is so hurtful to Scouten and journalists in general because it acts as a derogatory term and it lessens the value of their legitimate work and craft. 
journalists dedicate their lives to developing raw stories and to have the public respond by either commenting online or by directly declaring in this scrutinizing manner cripples their mental health and well-being. Just imagine working tirelessly and devoting countless hours of your precious time to something you are passionate about and having comments expressing the inaccuracy and fallaciousness of your work. It is truly heartbreaking and results in trauma and post-traumatic stress. This is a different kind of stress that renders subconsciously in the mind, which could ultimately inhibit a journalist from publishing anything remotely related to yellow journalism. Traditionally, this term is actually used to describe fake news that presents little or no legitimate well-researched news. These stories instead use eye-catching headlines to increase sales. Without consistent stories, journalists' work performances remain threatened, along with their overall emotional and physical well-being. Furthermore, Scouten's sensitive emotional compass led him astray as he felt loss in his self-reflections, thoughts, and opinions. There is an abundance of overwhelming pressures that news reporters face on a daily basis. Also, news reporters are expected to fit the needs of the public first, without considering the needs of their mental and emotional capacities. News journalists must succumb to these societal pressures to successfully appeal to the public. Consequently, news reporters never have an efficient amount of time to process and recollect themselves post a violent and traumatic incident. With this in mind, this interview suggested that the installation of various programs and protocols that will ultimately serve to improve the mental health of news journalists would be effective to keep the industry alive and prosperous. News is that part of communication that keeps us informed of the changing events, issues, and characters in the world outside. Though it may be interesting or even entertaining, the foremost value of news is as a utility to empower the informed. The purpose of journalism is thus to provide citizens with the information they need to make the best possible decisions about their lives, their communities, their societies, and their governments. Not only did Brian Shelter and Diane Kay focus their efforts to record, document, and inform the public on 9-11, they also became physically impaired because of it. Brian Shelter is the chief media correspondent for CNN, and Diane Kay is the chief product officer at CNN. They covered the 9-11 attacks at ground zero. They breathed in the dust and debris. Now, they have cancer. As a journalist, the main motive is just to get the story, get those pictures, never thinking years later you're going to end up dying from it. This is our reality. Shelter and Kay reflected on their past experiences at Ground Zero on 9-11 and the physical toll it took on their bodies several years post that event. Nor is there an official count of how many journalists have already died after being exposed to the dust and debris without my telling the doctor I had been at Ground Zero. In 2016, he told me the first cancer cell probably showed up 15 years earlier, which would be 2001. I found that pretty amazing, Shelter said. That terrible day, I said. All I was thinking about was getting the shot. Journalists had toured the new story, and that's what I did that day. That was my instinct. I never thought I should be running away. 
Shelter in Case Source showcases how it is extremely common for news journalists to develop devastating diseases and illnesses as a result of covering stories at dangerous crime scenes. Journalists suffer from physical impairments as well as emotional turmoil. The phrase, I never thought I should be running away, presents a significant catalyst in the way in which journalists view their occupation. Reporters are taught to go after a story no matter the risks or dangers involved. The fact that journalists have to contemplate the safety of their own physical and emotional health is truly heartbreaking. I wish that our society could realize this and effectively take action to address this mental health crisis. A majority of Ground Zero journalists and reporters have been diagnosed with cancer roughly 15 years later, as the harmful toxins that these individuals were exposed to have officially taken their toll and have decided to manipulate numerous body tissues. In addition to PTSD, depression, and other mental illnesses, journalists have to be cautious about their physical health, as well as the cases and stories they decide to tackle could pose a major threat to their greater well-being. Their source illustrates how news journalists are prone to emotional and physical diseases, and it is crucial to take these risks into account when deciding on this career path. Oftentimes, altruisms and personal beliefs can interfere in how you respond to certain events and stories that you report on and cover. Ari Odzer is a veteran reporter at NBC6 and specializes in several school-related and educational issues. As a result, he covered the Parkland shooting. Odzer revealed that he will never fully recover from this atrocity and has since opened many emotional outlets to cope with his mental distress. Due to the fact that Mr. Odzer has three high school children, the Parkland massacre sent him over the edge of his mental and emotional capacity and he was forced to guide himself through this traumatic process, alone, without aid. It's become a very heartfelt, ingrained sort of thing with me. And um, as a parent myself, you know, mm -hmm. with a high school-aged son and two in college, that story hit me probably harder than any that I've covered in my career. Just because of the magnitude of the tragedy, and the mm -hmm. fact that I, I know these people personally, and it's hard not to feel their pain every time I talk to them or see them. And the human emotion in front of you is so overwhelming sometimes. You know, there, there are many times where I've cried at a story, you know, or tried to hold back tears, and it's difficult to do that. So you mm -hmm. have to deal with it in the moment, be professional, be empathetic, always put yourself in the person's shoes or position so that you don't try to overwhelm somebody uh, and you don't do anything inappropriate. And mm -hmm. then you try to shut that off at the end of the day. You try mm -hmm. to do your live shot. You try to do your story, file your piece and concentrate on your own life. From this interview, I now realize how the term too close to home resonates with many news journalists and reporters. The need for trauma training protocols and emotional aid is extreme, and the fact that these programs exist for first aid responders, such as policemen and firemen, and not for news journalists, is repulsive and utterly shocking to the core. In several cases, news reporters most often arrive at the scene of a crime before first aid responders, 
Rich reasserts the argument that these trauma training programs must be established immediately. The gruesome realities of being a breaking news specialist is hard to bear in most cases. Kurt Calhoun is a photojournalist for Local 10, the ABC affiliate. He has been in the news business for 25 years and has worked in several different places around the country. Calhoun's 25 years of experience in this field is astounding, yet simply traumatizing, as he has witnessed several violent events, such as the 2010 Haitian earthquake, 9-11, Parkland, and others. In an interview with Calhoun, he revealed his internal struggles as he was constantly stigmatized and put into exhausting situations with little to no warning and slash or preparation. And I showed up and there was a guy lying in the street dead. Those are the aspects a lot of a lot of people don't don't really get. You know, they just yeah. they look at their T V and uh, and all of a sudden all this stuff appears on the television but they don't know how the many doors you had to not yeah, you know, the backstory and how many people you had to go interview in order to get that and what you had to put yourself into the situations in order to make that story, you know, um, go to broadcast. From this interview, I realized the need for mandatory trauma training protocols. These programs and organizations can be extremely effective in preparing and preventing one from crippling consequences that affect mental health. Mr. Calhoun presents a behind-the-scenes approach to express how journalists experience magnitudes of trauma beyond belief. Individuals don't realize how much effort and consideration is taken into account before an event is aired on national television. Our society is too quick to assume and thus defines journalists based on a set of logical fallacies. Mr. Calhoun has never witnessed nor experienced any emotional or mental aid services from his employers and reveals the importance of such assistance programs as being propagators of his happiness and stable mental capacity. State support for the media is not a new concept. Right now, supporting the role of trustworthy, anti-partisan quality news journalism and news media in a democratic society, primarily taking the form of license-free funding for public service broadcasting, but also direct grants and indirect support to private printed media outlets, seems ever more important. But state aid is not limited to these formats. It can also include grants to non-commercial citizen radio and new journalistic online-only ventures, startup media companies, and investigative journalist projects. Ideally, all these forms of state support allow journalism to provide a forum for public dialogue and enable social inclusion political participation, as well as the responsible actions of citizens. And yet, despite state aid for journalism being common across Europe, it is a contested matter. While Austria, for example, provides grants for institutions training journalists, France has shelled income tax allowances for journalists, a surprising move which could exacerbate the existing lack of diversity of opinion in the country's media. I argue that regulation is needed in response to the demand of the public for the correction of inefficient or inequitable market practices. In effect, there is a need to reform existing support schemes. Of course, doing this in ways that satisfies all stakeholders is a very difficult, if not impossible, task. 
state aid can raise journalists' job satisfaction levels, and it can improve journalistic quality for the general public benefit and encourage innovation in local news coverage that would otherwise not take place. With the news industry under threat from falling advertising revenues and new revenue streams being hard to find, state aid for the media could help to address some, if not all, of these issues. This has been Newsroom Mayhem, and I'm Alexa Morrissey. Thank you to Ted Scouten, Ari Odzer, and Kurt Calhoun for their incredible interviews, and Sophia Echeverry and Daniel Gutkin for reading evidence.